Coming up on Chasing the Natty, man, doesn't it feel good to be back in the swing of the regular season? Our kickoff for week one of the college fantasy football season is right around the corner, and we've got you guys covered on everything you'll need to know. We'll be discussing the biggest games of the weekend, how to navigate the endless buffet of cupcake games over the next few weeks, and of course, answering your fan-submitted start-sit scenarios for this upcoming weekend. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the all-time drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Wednesday morning. We'll get to that in a second. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus Kenton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday and Wednesday morning during the regular season at 7 a.m. If you want to support the great work that we are doing, head on over to campusdecanton.com and subscribe there with one of our amazing tiers. You'll pretty much find literally everything you will need for your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs. Rankings, articles, projections now, different tools. Just Y'all, like... I can't even keep up with how much stuff we have now. Like It is so insane whenever I go to the website. I'm like, wait, I don't even remember when we added this. There's so much stuff for you guys to check out over there. So go ahead and do that. You can also find us, like I said, on YouTube as well. And you can find me and the show on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared. And the show is at Chasing the Natty. Go find me on Twitter, y'all. I love hanging out with you guys over there. Joining us. For this show and every Wednesday show from here during the regular season is none on none other than a rising superstar in the CFF world. His articles are extremely well written, charismatic, funny, informative, and quite frankly, he is somebody I have seen single-handedly move ADP this offseason because of the articles that he writes. I have to welcome on here Mr. Justin Leo, aka Volume Pigs on twitter justin how are you doing today sir oh well i mean uh yes thank you thank you for the very very generous uh very nice intro there so it's, uh, it's great it's great to be back here it's great that the season is starting uh, we've waited a long time for this it's been a long off season so i think speak for everyone when i say it's it's great uh, to be here uh i was just noticing during the intro there that the, the guys like nate and chris they all have a, a mic including yourself i feel like i've got to get a mic if i'm going to be on this show consistently it just makes me look so much more official <laughs> i would say so again like mics really do make a lot of difference but um but anyway we, we can talk we can definitely talk about that later but you, you sound great on my end i'll say that much like your 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 airpods are crystal clear from from where i'm sitting over here man again it's wonderful to have you on um 
to clarify for everybody what's going on during the season. So every Monday morning during the offseason, you've gotten yourself a CTN. During the regular season, we move to two shows a week, mostly because in order to recap and preview the next week, it's just too much for one show. So we split it up into two shows. This year, we got Justin coming on here to help us out with the preview shows and sit starts every single week. And then we will also have a recap and waiver wire show every Sunday or every Monday morning for you guys as well. Just in time for you guys to put in your waiver pickups for that week. Basically, the rundown of these shows are what it, how it's going to be is. Typically, we're going to hit on some of the bigger games first and foremost. You know, like we're so college football fans, we want to talk about, you know, the big games of the week, the ranked matchups, like which ones are going to decide conference um, division races or shoot just the entire conference in general, maybe. We're going to still talk about those. Then we're going to touch on some games that are expected to be really high scoring, really close that you can maybe find some hidden gems in. And then every week I have you all out there submit Start sit scenarios for your college fantasy leagues that we will answer live here on the air. Again, unfortunately, we can't get to everybody because, again, otherwise this would be a three-hour show. But we will answer two quarterback questions each week, two running back, two wide receiver, two flex questions, and then one tight end question each week. So with all of that out of the way, Justin, I say we go ahead and start talking about what we can expect for week one. And really the thing that I think... Most people see when they look at that schedule is cupcakes galore, uh, one-sided matchups out the wazoo. This is kind of a thing in college fantasy that if you play NFL a lot or maybe you're new to college fantasy, you're not quite sure how to navigate. Because in the NFL, especially, you know, close games all the time. Later on in the season for college fantasy, a lot closer games. You can kind of project a little bit better. But what happens in these games where there's a possibility that one team just blows the other one completely out and you could have guys that you started expecting them to, you know, this team's going to score 50 points, but then your guys are gone by the third quarter. So Justin, how do you navigate these uh, cupcakes, especially when there's so many of them? Yeah, it is a good question. You make a good point. Yeah, I think a lot of new players, especially if you're coming from the NFL fantasy side, probably just are not even considering this. Uh, and it is kind of a twofold, two-sided problem. So a lot of the players, like if they're in the G5 and you drafted, you know, there's some good G5 players you might have drafted in the first round, second round. Uh, a lot of those players, oftentimes, they're playing out of conference opponents, and a lot of those out of conference opponents will be P5 teams. Uh, and so oftentimes, their teams will just be completely overmatched. And those players that you drafted while over the season are probably will be really good for you. In those early weeks, uh, it can be quite problematic. Uh, and that, that one is kind of more obvious, but I think another side of it that maybe isn't considered as much is also when you have P5 players and they're playing out of conference games also, and they're playing a G5 team or an FCS team, it can also be a problem uh, if you have a P5 player for a team like Alabama or Ohio State in particular, uh, where they have a lot of high-ranked players, players that need to get reps uh, or they might transfer, uh, you have a player like the running back for Alabama or something, they might get taken out of the game very early on. And if they haven't already gone for over 100 yards and two touchdowns by, I don't know, halftime, uh, it could be quite problematic because they're probably just not going to get back in the game. Uh, so when, you, when you're talking about navigating this early on in the season, uh, you know, I, I think it's a tough pill to swallow and something that sort of over a couple of years, I kind of learned to do this. But 
you don't have to necessarily start, you know, the player that you drafted in the first round or second round every single week. I know that sounds amazing, uh, especially if it's your first round pick, right? Because you think this is the player you drafted in the first round, probably for the reason that he's supposed to be a stud for you all season. That's not necessarily the case. Like college football is very based around matchups. And if you have a G5 stud and he's in a game that where he's just going to be overmatched, uh, you know, it's probably not going to work out that well. Uh, and you're probably better off just looking for an option that's, you know, in a game where they're going to be more ma- more evenly matched, uh, preferably in a game where there's a high over-under uh, and, and sort of opting for a player in a more sort of favorable matchup. Uh, so, and, and that goes both ways, like not just the G5s who run games where they're overmatched, but also if it's a P5 player against a complete like FCS cupcake, sometimes I'll just real, try to avoid. I would say real, real quick, I want to throw out a couple of examples that people might uh, to kind of touch on what you're tu- what you're touching on there. Good Lord, I can't speak today. Anyway, um, but like you said, like a lot of times this does involve players you drafted really, really highly. So two guys that kind of stick out to me as players that people drafted highly. Marquez Cooper, RB9 in ADP this year. He's going up against Kentucky. Ain't no way I am starting him against Kentucky this week. That is a MAC team completely overmatched by an SEC defense. Even if you aren't a super believer in Kentucky, that's just a whole different level of football that they're going up against this weekend. I mean, there's other reasons why I may not start Cooper this weekend because I think there might be a bit more committee than we're thinking there. But even still, like, let's say he is a sub. Maybe he kills it the rest of the year in the MAC. I'm not starting him this week. Another guy, I drafted Daquan Finn everywhere. I have a ton of shares of him this year. Guess who I'm not starting in any of my leagues this week? Daquan Finn, because he's going up against Illinois. Max School going up against an Illinois defense, even though they lost a lot of talent, even though they lost their defensive coordinator. I still think that Toledo team, even though they're going to kill it in the MAC this year, they're going to struggle against a Power 5 defense. So, like, it sucks. It hurts a little bit. But immediately right off the bat here, I got to start playing those matchups, like you said, Justin. Yeah, and, and like I'm in full agreement, and I have some shares of Cooper across a few different leagues. And in any league where you have to choose your starters, like I, I have him on the bench this week, and, and it'll likely be two two weeks for Cooper as well because they play uh, UGA next week as well. Uh, and, and as you said, like it could happen. I mean, he, he could have a decent performance. Uh, when he was with Kent State last season, he actually had a decent game against Georgia of all teams. That's true. But it's- far between and uh, it's not really something you'd want to bet on you know in college football there are so many options like you can choose a different option that'll probably give you a better probability of success yeah i fully agree let's talk about you, you were i think you're about to touch on this but again to a lot of people again okay bad teams facing good defenses uh, playing out of conference that makes sense bench your guys but what about your studs like I don't know, like, let's say Raheem Sanders. We'll touch on him, but he's going up against Western Carolina this week. Like, you drafted him. Is it worth thinking about the fact that he might be gone by the third quarter and you're just hoping that he gets points by that point? Otherwise, you're you're really screwed compared to the normal volume you would get on a normal week. How do you navigate dealing with your studs going up in those matchups? Yeah, that phenomenon is even harder to, to swallow, like sit, sitting that player, because it's, it's quite counterintuitive, right? Like they're playing against a team where they should be able to just overpower them on offense, which means easy points, easy yards. Uh, the, the problem is, is that, yeah, like if they score really quickly and often in the first half, and it just happens to not be Sanders who gets those touchdowns, likely he's going to be gone, you know, some at some point in the third quarter. And so you're looking at like a scenario where you have to hope, you have to cross your fingers. And in those first two quarters, he basically gets you all the points that you're hoping for. 
right? Like he has to cross a hundred yards and get a couple of touchdowns or something, you know, equivalent within two quarters, which is like a condensed game. And, you know, so it, it can be, it, it, it can be a high risk scenario. I mean, it can, it, it can work out. I mean, it could be Sanders who scores, you know, all the touchdowns for Arkansas finishes with three, four touchdowns within a quarter or two could work out. Uh, but that is something you want to consider, you know, it, it, because it can backfire quite a bit as well. So, you know, just like if you have a G5 player who's coming up in a matchup where they might be overmatched, you might want to consider if you have another player that you feel decent about and they're in the game that's more evenly matched and you feel like they're going to play the full 60, yeah. you might want to give them some consideration. I would definitely agree with that. And again, a lot of times I would start looking for, especially early on, like I mentioned, there's a lot of one-sided games, but there are some kind of closer matchups that you could take advantage of that are kind of expected to be high scoring, then maybe you can kind of slip in a guy there at the end of your lineup, maybe in a flex option and say like, hey, this is going to be a high scoring game. Hopefully this guy is able to nab himself a touchdown too. And then you're feeling pretty good about yourself there. One thing I'll add when it comes to navigating these power five teams and, you know, or you could even say G5. Actually, that's something I will touch on real quick. This phenomenon is more common in Power 5 teams than in G5 teams. The gap between G5 teams and the quote-unquote cupcake games that they play, whether it's, you know, a FCS or a Division 2 team, the gap between them and the rest of those teams isn't as big as necessarily, like, you know, obviously a Power 5 and, like, an FCS or a Division 2 team and everything. So they do have a little bit more incentive to play their guys full 60 minutes. There isn't as much need to develop the guys behind them because, you know, they're not chasing anything like, you know, a national championship or anything like that. Power 5 teams, though, they have all the incentive to keep their guys healthy. They have their conference championships they're playing for. A lot of them are playing for playoff spots they're hoping down the line. They got really big matchups down the line they need their guys healthy for. So they're they're more likely to sit them there. The other thing I would say, when it comes to Power 5 teams, there are some coaches who typically hold their guys in a little bit longer than others. One guy that obviously, not that you're going to be really starting a ton of guys on this team, but like Georgia, Kirby Smart is pretty quick pretty quick to put his starters down or at least kind of shut down the offense once the game's kind of in hand, at least historically. Maybe that changes this year with uh, Mike Bobo um, there. But at the same time, a guy like Ryan Day, Ryan Day historically has kept his starters in for a long time. Now, obviously, we've got the situation this weekend where you know Kyle McCord is going to start. That news came out today. But we should expect to see Devin Brown at some point. The question is just when. Even if Devin Brown comes in, I guarantee you that, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, they're probably going to stay in because that's just what he's done historically. And he, if, if he's serious about this being a competition between Devin Brown and Kyle McCord, he's going to want Devin Brown out there with the one. So I wouldn't worry so much about your Ohio State guys this weekend because historically that's just what Ryan Day hasn't done. In terms of how you can apply that, I would definitely try to, like, Fantrax has the option where you can go to players past seasons, and you can see how well they performed in games like this. Do they kind of shut down during these games, or is is it super up and down, or do they consistently perform well? And this is where they kind of eat, because you know they're just better than everybody else on the field. That is something I would recommend if you're kind of between some guys in your sit-start scenarios. That's kind of where I would go with that. What do you think? You have anything to add there, Justin? No, not too much. I mean, I'm, I'm in full agreement. Uh, the, I'm more so worried when P5 teams play against like FCS opponents rather than P5 versus G5 or G5 versus FCS opponents. For that's sure. sort of, that gap is you know, the largest. 
and yeah, I like your sort of recommendation as far as looking back at sort of the, you know, if the player is an established player, like they were playing for that team last year, you can sort of look back in the previous season, look at the sort of out of conference schedule. How did they do when they played FCS teams, G5 teams, et cetera? All right. I think we've had a pretty, pretty good conversation there. I think, I hope that it kind of helps you guys navigate these first couple of weeks when dealing with all of these kind of, shall we say, just warm up games for a lot of these bigger schools the paycheck games, as you will say. Let's go ahead and start talking about some of these big matchups for this weekend. Like I said, lots and lots of one-sided matchups, but there are kind of a couple games of interest here. We're going to go in um, chronological order here. And really, again, because so many of these games are one-sided, you're not seeing a lot of high over-unders that you can really take advantage of. But one that you probably can here is involving the AAC, excuse me, versus the CUSA. South Florida travels to Western Kentucky here. This game has probably one of the highest over-unders of the weekend that you can find at 70.5. And And Western Kentucky is under a two-touchdown favor. Now, typically, that's still a pretty big spread. Like, that isn't something that we would love. But in a weekend like this, like, I fully expect both of these teams to put up several, several it's not several silver, a buttload of points on both sides here. So, Justin, what do you think of the, these two teams? Obviously, got Malachi Corley and Austin Reed at Western Kentucky there, but what else are you kind of looking forward to taking advantage in this matchup? Yeah, I'm actually a lot more interested in seeing USF. Uh, there isn't any, like, particular name that I'm interested in. I'm more just interested to see, like, will a name emerge, uh, whether that be at wide receiver I think we know the quarterback is going to be the starter. It's Jerry Bohannon, much to the disappointment of um, you know a lot of the Byron Brown fans out there. I don't know. Uh, they put out a depth chart out today that had four four QBs as the number one. Yeah, so I mean, I, uh, I don't know how many QBs is going to be playing in this game. I guess we'll, we'll have to see. But I'm really interested to see if there's a wide receiver in particular who kind of emerges and sort of shows himself as the target man. Uh, for those who don't know, that new head coach at USF is the former OC from Tennessee, Alex Golish. Uh, and if you were around last year, you probably remember they had some pretty good wide receivers for CFF. So USF, I have a lot of questions about, you know, just who, if, if there's going to be a name that emerges there. I think Western Kentucky, we kind of know who the big names are there. We know Corley, we know Austin Reed. I'll be interested to see if there's another guy who steps up in the wide receiver room. Um, in particular, I'm interested to see how involved Dalvin Smith is. I know a lot of people drafted him in leagues where he's tight end eligible. Mm-hmm. If he's quite involved in that offense, he's potentially a league winner in those tight end eligible leagues. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm quite interested to see sort of the USF side. I agree with you, and and I agree with the line, I guess. I think this will be quite a high-scoring game. should be a really exciting, fun matchup. So it's definitely one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, again, I expect... Uh, I'm back on the USF side here again. I do expect Gary Bohannon to start. I bet I bet he plays probably the majority of this game, considering that we expect this to be a relatively close matchup here. I like Naquan Finn at running back, but obviously you um, there's still some there's still some things that could got to be figured out there with Kelly Joyner and everything. Wide receiver does kind of get a little interesting. I know that Chris Moxley is really big on Naeem Simmons. Um, and you got uh, Joffrey Brown, the younger brother of Diami Brown, who was at North Carolina a couple years ago, for those of you who remember him. He is at South Florida, so that could provide a kind of an interesting option. And again, Michael Brown-Stevens from Minnesota is hanging around there 
uh, fighting for a starting spot. So I agree with you that just kind of looking for somebody to emerge there feels like a prime opportunity for a week one waiver if somebody truly does stand out. Kind of like the Hawaii situation this past week with week zero, which, by the way, hope you got your uh, uh, Pofele Ashlock shares already because I don't think he's coming off anybody's roster anytime soon. Let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup here. Let's touch on the Meat Meeps versus the Cougars. UTSA at Houston here, a former G5 versus G5 matchup, but now G5 versus P5. Another expectedly high-scoring game with the G5 team actually favored in this one. UTSA a one-and-a-half-point favorite over under of 60. Justin, what are you looking forward in, looking forward in this matchup? Yeah, I think the biggest question mark is uh, Donovan Smith. Uh, quarterback at Houston, and I know a lot of people are really high on him this year. I have a few shares myself. Uh, you know, he had a couple of good games at Texas Tech last year. Obviously, he transferred in the offseason. Now he's at Houston. That system under Dana Holgerson has been pretty good for quarterback play in the past. If you look at the numbers that Clayton Toon put up last year, they were pretty good. So, you know, Donovan Smith is sort of a projection play for this year. It's a good system, and he had a couple of good games last year, like I said. So I'm really interested to see how well he does in this game because this should be a pretty good barometer. For like how he's going to look for the rest of the season. Like both these teams are pretty evenly matched. Like you said, they're they were formerly both G five teams. UTSA is still a G five team. Houston just got promoted to Big Twelve, so it should be a pretty competitive game. It should be a pretty good barometer for sort of how effective that Houston offense will be. Uh, I'm interested, sort of, in the Houston wide receivers. Uh, obviously, Golden is still there. I want to see is he sort of the main target man still? Well, not still, but is he sort of filling into that role? Uh, and is there another wide receiver behind him that sort of steps up as well? Uh, on the UTSA side, do we know, uh, is DeCorion Clark playing in this game? Game time decision was the last word there, which is coach speak for, I don't want to tell you nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, we, yeah, so we won't know if Clark is playing. And if he's game time decision, he might even still be banged up, even if he is playing. Mm-hmm. So I, I expect Joshua Cephas to then see quite a bit of, of target volume. Uh, but I don't really have as many questions on the UTSA side. It's a lot of the same faces, same names from last year. I mean, Frank Harris still at quarterback. Yep. You have Kyron Barnes as well now at running back. He sort of finished the year strong last year. So I, I'd expect Barnes to sort of continue that. Uh, that would be something I, I'm looking for in terms of the carry volume in the, in, in the backfield. Uh, but I don't have as many question marks with UTSA as I do with Houston. No, I would definitely agree. I am going to be looking for with UTSA, if Clark is out, who steps up behind him? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be a Chris Carpenter? Is it going to be a Willie McCoy? Is it going to be um, uh, Taiki, um, or was it Oleg, or Kellogg? Some, I, I brain fart here. But um, Kellogg, I'll just say Kellogg, because I know that's part of his last name. I, anyway, um, if it's one of those guys, I want to see who steps up if Clark is out, because again, if... if God forbid, let's say Clark's out for a couple of weeks there and everything. Like we're gonna want to know who that UTSA wide receiver two is. Now maybe it, it maybe it's that Cephas just goes absolutely bananas because nobody else really steps up and they have to funnel it to him a thousand times. But I'm so again just also for dynasty reasons, I want to see like who kind of steps up because probably Cephas and Clark are both gone after this year. Houston, yeah. one thing that I think I want to see that's kind of flying under the radar: Tony Mathis. Tony Mathis is a running back, for those of you who don't know, transferred from West Virginia last year. Was there when Dana Holderson was over at West Virginia. 
He's reunited with Dana Holgerson. Holgerson's kind of been iffy when it comes to CFF running backs in the past. Obviously, Alton McCaskill, but then there's been several years where it's just been straight committee. I want to see if that connection is so strong between him and Holgerson. Is Tony Mathis a guy to kind of look for as a potential waiver pickup after this week if he does get a significant amount of volume in this game? So that's kind of what I'm looking for. Let's move on to the next matchup here. This next one is the 7.30 game on ABC on Saturday. I keep meaning to say like what the times of these games are so you guys know when to watch them. But I said for this one, so I'm, I'm doing good now. Anyway, North Carolina versus South Carolina. Battle of the Carolinas here. Love that this is a week one matchup. This is actually a ton of fun. I wish there was more matchups like this where, you know, there's like a pseudo rivalry there. UNC, the two and a half point favor here, over under of 64. Justin, what are you looking for in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, as a college football fan, I like this matchup quite a bit. From the CFF side, I'm not really as interested in this one. So UNT has a new OC, Chip Lindsay. So I'm, I'm sort of interested to see what the offense will look like with him calling the plays. Uh, I believe we're still waiting to find out about Devontae Walker at wide receiver, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, so, I mean, if Walker isn't playing, I'd be interested to see sort of how that wide receiver room shakes out, uh, sort of how the how the splits go, if there's a guy who's the main target man or if they're just spreading the love. Uh, on the South Carolina side, you know, Spencer Rattler finished the season last year pretty strong, at least in, like, the last couple of games. Uh, and he's kind of been streaky throughout his career. He's, he's always kind of been up and down. So I'll be interested to see sort of how he starts uh, this season. If he sort of carries that momentum and has a good game. Uh, he's kind of a forgotten man in CFF, right? I, I believe he's probably available in most waivers and most leagues. So he's a potential guy where like, you know, if he puts it all together this season, he could have a good year. He's got some decent weapons there at South Carolina with uh, Juice Wells and Dwayne Wells. Mm-hmm. Uh looking forward to have you know another big uh sort of step up this year as well uh so yeah I'm, I'm but in general i'm not as interested from a cff side in this matchup it's it's there are a few names but uh not not as many as the other uh, other games yeah i think i'm going to touch on a lot of the same things here as you again obviously what does unc's offense look like um, I just took the under on prize picks for Drake May's passing yardage this game. I think his over-under was set at 303. I think he hits under in this game one because, you know, South Carolina, as much as I ragged on them this offseason, I do think they have a decent defense. So I think they'll be able to, like, and we saw that Drake May, once he kind of went up against some decent defenses last year to end the season, namely Clemson and stuff like that, you know, it kind of fell apart a little bit for him there. So with the worst OC, I think, he could definitely hit that under. But again, like I said, with Te- if Tez Walker can't play in this game for the stupidest reason on the planet, screw you, NCAA, um, who steps up? Because again, we know that you know he's probably going to try to find a guy. One guy that I have, have my eye on is Gavin Blackwell. I mean, the other wide receiver position between Nate McCollum, Kobe Pesor, that's kind of been up in the air throughout the offseason. Those two have been battling back and forth. But one name that's been consistent is Gavin Blackwell locking down one of those starting outside spots. So we saw, we've seen guys like, even though like, you know, Josh Downs has been like the darling for North Carolina the last couple of years, Andre Green, or not Andre Green, um, Antoine Green last year had some really, really good weeks in this North Carolina system. So I think that there's a sneaky play there potentially if anybody's really, really deep in their leagues and they need to find somebody to start for this week. 
And then South Carolina, I think probably the one thing, again, um, one thing I'm looking for there that I don't think you mentioned is to carry on Joyner. You know, he's got wide receiver eligibility. If he is a guy that, you know, does kind of clearly become the workhorse back for South Carolina, doubt, because they went committee last year. I think they'll go committee again this year. But, you know, if he's getting 15 to 18 touches per week, that's pretty valuable to stick into your wide receiver starting spot there on any given week. So definitely something I'm looking out for there. Moving on to the fourth matchup, I think. Yeah, fourth matchup. Got our Sunday 7.30 p.m. game on ABC here. This is the big one. This is our top 10 opening weekend matchup here between LSU and Florida State. Outside of this game, obviously with the massive implications this has for, you know, playoff down the line, just the respect that these two programs will hold for the rest of the year here. What else are you looking for here, Justin? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously Florida State's coming into the season with a lot of hype, right? Uh, they're kind of a dark horse pick for the playoff. Their quarterbacks like a dark horse pick. For How the much Heisman. of a dark horse are they at this point? <laughs> Maybe not. That that that's might have yeah. The, the market might have caught up at this point now. Uh, they're kind of a, more of a meta pick, I guess, for the playoff. But uh, yeah, they're coming in with a lot of hype. I mean, I guess LSU is too. Uh, this should be a, a fantastic matchup, obviously. Uh, as far as personnel, I mean, I want to see. Uh, Keon Coleman, what his role is with FSU, and really just that wide receiver room in general. I mean, we had the the shocker earlier this week with uh, the, I guess, true freshman. I'll, I'll call him uh, Destin Hill, who had been sort of left for dead for the past year or two. And all yep. of a sudden, he's a starter on uh, FSU's roster. Uh, so I'm very intrigued to see what his role will be. It's it's quite uh, unique that uh, the circumstance that he's found himself in. Obviously, there's Johnny Wilson there, too. Uh, he was kind of streaky last year, but he was kind of their wide receiver one. So I, I want to see if there's a wide receiver of this room that kind of is, is the alpha. I suspect it'll be more sort of uh, spreading the love. I mean, they've got a lot of playmakers there. They've got Jaheim Bell as well, I believe, at tight end. Uh, so I, I also want to see the running back splits. I know a lot of people are really excited about Trey Benson this year. He's, you know, he's obviously he's a really good player. Uh, Norvell, Mike Norvell, who's the head coach, it's kind of interesting because like his background, like when he was at Memphis, there was a lot of good running back production years, and they really funneled the carries to one player most of those seasons. But since he's joined FSU uh, back in like 2020, I think every season has been a committee. I don't think there's been any running back who's gotten the overwhelming uh lion's share of the carries in his backfields uh so i'll be interested to see what the usage split looks like this season uh obviously i think trey benson is the best player in that backfield and this feels like a game where they will probably want to lean on him um as far as lsu you know uh same quarterback from last season Jaden daniels so i expect him to sort of pick up where he left off i'll be interested to see the wide receiver room obviously malik neighbors is the name that sort of everybody likes. Uh, and, you know, I suspect he'll still be the wide receiver one of that room. I really want to see Mason Taylor, the tight end. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of people are excited about. And he's really more of a projection play. He had a couple of good games that finished the year last year. So it's it sort of remains to be seen, like how prominent his role will be. But Brian Kelly, obviously coming from Notre Dame, they used the tight end quite a bit during his seasons. And so... Mason Taylor, who's a guy that Kelly, I believe, actually compared to Brock Powers at one point in his first offseason there. Uh, so lofty praise, lofty expectations, and, and I'll be interested to see how involved in the offense uh, he is and 
the running back room as well. Uh, they've got a lot of running backs there at LSU. I suspect it'll be a committee approach that they've just got too many different guys who are all around the same ability level for one to get all of the, the carries, but that's something I'll be watching uh, too. So I'll pass it back to you, sir. I think I probably covered <laughs> all the positions. I, was say, I think you literally covered every position there. Uh, you know, like, I am interested to see if LSU gets a little bit more aggressive downfield passing this year. Again, they were able to hold on to both Garrett Nussmeyer and Jaden Daniels. They pretty much said pretty early on, like like for them saying it was a close quarterback competition, they named Jaden Daniels kind of the starter pretty early on. And I wonder if that means that they've worked on his kind of downfield passing a little bit that makes guys like Malik Neighbors just a little bit more interesting because Malik Neighbors, again, for the most part, had a pretty solid year last year. It's just that he only had three touchdowns to go along with it. Are they going to get more aggressive there? Are they going to kind of spread the touchdown love a little bit better there? Remains to be seen. I feel okay about Trey Benson. I think this is the perfect game for you to start him in with how close this game's expected to be. They're going to, like Florida State at its core is going to want to run the ball, control the clock and everything, keep this relatively low scoring. Trey Benson is going to be a huge, huge part of that. And he's got the receiving ability out of the backfield. I think he'll be pretty all right in this game. And again, like, Who's his main competition? Lawrence Toafili? I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree about this matchup in particular being like perfect for Benson. This feels like the game where if he's going to have you know, 25, 30 carries, this would be the one. For sure. All right, we got one last game here. This is the Sunday night matchup here at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Clemson at Duke. This would have been a fun upset pick like in the middle of the year, but I think if like... You know, because Clemson's had all off season to prepare for this game, I don't think really Duke is going to pull the upset here. But again, there's kind of two roads I think this game could go down. One, I think the more likely one is that Clemson wins handily. We're not really seeing much happen here. Or Duke does surprise a little bit. And I think if this game gets close, it becomes a shootout pretty quickly. I think both of these teams have offenses that are capable of putting up points throughout this entire game. And... Quite frankly, it really kind of makes me curious about what do we see out of Riley Leonard here. I mean, Riley Leonard, a guy that's been drafted pretty highly this offseason, kind of in the fourth, fifth round range. Sometimes I've seen him go, go in the third in some drafts. Finishes the top 10 QB last year, but can Duke do it again? I think they caught a lot of people off guard last year. I think more teams were prepared for them this year. If they can do it against Clemson and they can put up points again, I think they're going to be just fine the rest of the year. I think people will breathe a sigh of relief there. Does he find a true number one wide receiver? I mean, I like Jalen Calhoun. I like Jordan Moore. I think both of those guys are super intriguing there. If he kind of funnels it to, I mean, if he can funnel it to both guys, but if there's really one guy that stands out there, that'll be super interesting to watch down the line. And then on Clemson, obviously the thing we want to see. One, how good does Cade Klubnik look, and how good does he look in the Garrett Riley offense? I do think this team is going to be a, still pretty run-heavy. Um, there's an interview with um, Dabo Swinney earlier this week that basically said that like his first conversation with Garrett Riley is, we're not transitioning to the air raid, and to which Garrett Riley replied, nah, we're going to the dirt raid, aka they're going to still run the ball quite a bit there. But even still... Does the passing game look better? Do the routes look better for the wide receivers? Are they getting open? Is he scheming guys open? Should be very interesting to watch this weekend. And against Duke, Duke's a pretty good belt. Like um, you were talking about earlier um, with Houston and UTSA, this feels like a really good bellwether 
for what the Clemson offense is going to look like on a week-to-week basis down the line. What are you looking for in this game, Justin? Yeah, well, interesting you mentioned, you know, as a barometer, I, I like that this game is providing us like an instant sort of temperature check on Duke's offense. Like how good can they be this season? I'd expect that Clemson's probably, you know, the best team they'll play, certainly one of the best defenses they'll play. So mm-hmm. I like that, you know, just a, a quick barometer of, you know, what is Duke's offense really and how effective can they be? I think you cover, you know, uh, pretty well a lot of different positions there. Uh, in particular, I'm, I'm with you. I want to see Riley Leonard, how well he can do against Clemson, uh, but especially I want to see that wide receiver room. So, you know, the, the two names that everybody kind of knows is Jalen Calhoun and, and Jordan Moore. And, you know, everybody kind of has which one that they prefer. Uh, it's hard for me to see one separating from the other just because it, it doesn't, it's hard to imagine one would just go away. Uh, but I'm interested to see if they're sort of passing it enough and effective enough that both can be sort of CFF relevant. Uh, on the Clemson side, yeah, I, I agree as well. Uh, you know, I think the new new OC, new offense, right? So it just naturally, there's there's a question there of like how how is that going to look? And Kate Klubnik, you know, year two now, this will be his first sort of year starting, first year taking the reins of the offense. Uh, this will be you know this will be a good sort of first barometer of, of, of what he'll look like this year as a starter. Uh, and then, yeah, I really want to see how effective Clemson is running the ball and how much they funnel it to Will Shipley. They have that other, they have another running back. I can't remember his name. He might be able to help me out. So here, Mafa. Yeah, there you go. Mafa, who uh, he looked pretty good in the spring game. He's had his moments as well. He's kind of a bigger running back, uh, kind of a guy that you'd expect them to use around the goal line. So I, I really want to see how they split the work, if they do split the work at all, really between those two. Uh, Riley, last year at TCU, we had obviously Kendra Miller. And he was pretty good in the CFF, and he kind of gave him quite a bit of the volume there. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles this backfield and and sort of how much of the volume he funnels to Will Shipley. I would definitely agree with all of those points. Sir, it is now time to move on over to probably everybody's favorite segment when it comes to these weekly previews and everything. Obviously, we talked about some of the bigger games here, but... Let's do some sit-start conversations here. Let's move on over to that. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, got brand new graphics for it this year. Much better than the old janky ones that I was dealing with last year. Speaking of old and janky, I have to fix Mr. Justin's face here real quick. There we go. Now you're looking good, buddy. Anyway. um, Sorry about that. What did you say? Sliding over here on my office chair. Sorry about that. No, you're totally no, you're you're fine. No, it's I I, I got it all messed up on my end. Uh, speaking oh. of which, I'm gonna move you over just a little bit and fix you. There we go. Anyway, great content for the audio listeners. Anyway, let's go ahead and so again we have the tokens here. You guys, the rules behind this are um, again I I I try to be pretty varied in like what I allow for the most part in terms of the questions that you guys ask here. The main thing is that you can't have more than three players in your sit-start questions. You should, um, it'll be, it's either start one or start two. Let me know if there's any other additional rules like six-point passing touchdowns, PPR, stuff like that. Let me know in the reply that you do to me on Twitter, which by the way, should, that's the reason why you should be following the at Chasing the Natty podcast account because that is where we'll post the tweet every week asking for these submissions other than that that's pretty much covers most of the rules here again 
again, don't don't give me your entire roster and be like, yo, pick my pick my entire starting lineup. That's not what we're gonna do here. We're really looking for those questions where like you set your entire starting lineup, but you really need to come down between these two players. So speaking of starting with two players, Justin, I say we go ahead and get started here with our very first one here. This comes to us from our friend Brandon Champion on Twitter. And he asks between Jaden Daniels, who is going up against Florida State, or Michael Pratt going up against South Alabama. So, Justin, where do you fall between these two? Who are you sitting and who are you starting? Yeah, I think this is a good question. I don't really think you can go wrong with either. I mean, they're both pretty good options. Uh, personally, and again, I don't feel too strongly about one one way or the other. I think they're pretty close. But personally, I'd roll with Jaden Daniels, and it's more so just based on the matchup. I, I think that's going to be a very competitive game, back and forth. I expect there to be quite a few points scored between the two teams. Uh, you know, Daniels, who's kind of up and down last year, but sort of finished, you know, decently strong. Uh, and if you look back, you know, we talked about earlier, sort of looking back at players' histories of how they did against, you know, G5 teams. We actually have a nice data point here between LSU and FSU as they played as, as the opener last year. Mm-hmm. And then that game ran for over 100 yards. I think he passed for a couple touchdowns. Uh, I took a brief look. I think he scored like 30-something fantasy points in like a four-point passing touchdown format, which is pretty good. Uh, so I, I would expect, I mean, you know, who knows what will happen when these two teams play again. Uh, but given that we sort of have that data point, uh, and I like the matchup. That's who I'm going with. But again, I don't feel that strongly about it. I mean, I think Pratt against South Alabama is also a pretty good play. Yeah, I definitely agree that both both of these are pretty strong plays. But I guess that's part of the... I think Brandon knows that. he It's more of like who kind of provides the more upside here maybe. But also like that's kind of the more interesting thing here. Daniels to me is the upside play here out of the two because again he has those just absolute monster 40 point game weeks versus Pratt has really really good weeks don't get me wrong it's just that he doesn't quite get to those 40 point weeks unless he's playing a defense like I don't know USC's so but the problem with Jaden Daniels is that he can also have some really bomb weeks like last year against Arkansas dude had Barely, I don't even think he reached, he didn't even reach 10 points in that game. It was just an absolute slog fest between those two teams versus Pratt. I think out of last year, he had one game where he has scored less than 16 points. So he is the one who is Mr. Consistent out of these two. I looked at the defenses between the, the two of these guys and kind of strikingly similar in terms of like the relative strength of of the which these guys are going up against each other. So like FSU is the 20 was the 22nd best defense in the country when it came to yards allowed. South Alabama was 30th and I kind of thought to myself I'm like okay, we'll see who maybe lost a lot to the NFL. I kid you not. South Alabama is third in returning production for defense and FSU is fourth in returning production for defense. So both of these defenses should be just as strong as they were last year. I think I'm still going to roll with Michael Pratt. Michael Pratt's a really, really good quarterback. And quite frankly, he is somebody that should have moved up to the Power 5 this past year. I think he's a Power 5 quarterback playing in the G5 level. To me, that difference can make or can be seen more in the potential for him this upcoming week than Jaden Daniels, who again, did perform well against Florida State last year. I think that's a really good point that you made there, Justin. But I'm going to take the upside of Pratt just completely overpowering the 
um, overpowering the Jaguars' defense there. I'm also going to keep track of this afterwards, Justin, because I'm going to start, because um, since we're doing this every week, I'm going to start keeping tally on who has more points each week, and we can make a little competition out of it. I like it. I like it. They're upping the stakes here. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So, Braden, there you go. Start. I say start Pratt. Justin says start Daniels. I hope one of our one of our uh, um, arguments convinced you one way or another. Let's go ahead and move on to our next question here. I got to start rolling through these a little bit quicker. Otherwise, we're going to be here for two hours. Next one here comes to us from One Step Forward on Twitter. He is asking a three-way quarterback competition here. Dylan Gabriel versus Arkansas State, Donovan Smith versus UTSA, or Preston Stone versus Louisiana Tech. We talked earlier in the podcast about it's tough to bench a guy that you drafted probably pretty highly but I think that's what you have to do here with Dylan Gabriel out of these three. I like Dylan Gabriel a lot. I think he'll have a really good weekend this weekend. It's just he has Jackson Arnold behind him, and you know the coaching staff's going to want to get Jackson Arnold some pretty early on reps here, I think. Get him ready. Gabriel will be out of the game sooner rather than later. Versus both Smith and Stone, I think will probably play 60 minutes in both of their games. Smith, 100% because of how close that UTSA game should be, and if they... If he isn't in that game super long, that means they completely blew out UTSA and Smith had himself a really, really good day. And then Stone, Louisiana Tech's defense, we expect to not be very good this year. We also expect that Sabu's defense not to be very good. That is a game we expect to be pretty high scoring over there. So I think either Smith or Stone is going to probably be a good play for you. I still think, though, I'm going to actually lean Smith here. Obviously, he's the biggest projection play out of the bunch here, but I think he offers the most upside when it comes to his dual threat nature. Stone can run too, but that's really not his game. Versus Smith, I think, can kind of scoot a little bit better. So I'm going to roll with Smith in the upside there. And I'm going to bench, definitely going to bench Mr. Gabriel. And I'm definitely, I'm going to hesitantly bench Stone because I think Stone will have himself a pretty good week here as well. Justin, your thoughts, which way are you going here? Yeah, well, maybe just to keep things interesting here, because Smith was probably who I was going to go with. So I'm, I'm going to actually just... You can pick the same as me. That's that's fine. Well, for me, it was pretty close, actually. Uh, but for me, it was more so Gabriel and Smith. Uh, okay. With, I'm going to take a page out of uh, the argument you made in the previous segment in that I feel that he's pretty safe uh, this week just because I, I, I know sort of what he is. We saw him last year. It's the same you know system, same same team that he's with. Whereas uh, Donovan Smith, uh, obviously, and you mentioned that he is a projection. Like, uh, you know, we feel pretty good about him, and this is obviously a great, great game. And, and this will probably be one of the games where he scores the most points if, you know, he ends up doing really well this year. So he has massive up- upside, but there is the question about how is he going to look? We don't really know. Uh, and in Preston Stone, similar sort of story. I mean, he, he's a projection play. We feel pretty good about it based on sort of the the, the coach that's there and the system that's there and the history the patterns uh, of production at that position at that school. Uh, but with those two, it is more of a projection versus uh, Gabriel. But you did mention with Gabriel in the matchup, it is a bit of a, a red flag is probably too much, too, too extreme, but we have a P5 versus a G5 team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that Arkansas State's 
that much, you know, so, so bad that this game is just going to be ugly right from the bat. You know, I would expect that Gabriel would be in three quarters. Uh, at least I'm hoping so based on, based on the argument I'm making now. Uh, and, you know, I feel pretty good about him being able to have a good performance week one. Uh, week one, I, I try not to swing too much for the upside, despite the fact that I, I picked, I guess, maybe the more upside guy in the last segment. Uh, but I generally try to play it safer with guys who are more known commodities. So uh, in, in, in this choice, that looks like Dylan Gabriel. So that's who I'll roll with. Yeah, and I think that is something you have to do, kind of like going back to our discussion about the cupcake weeks and everything. You just have to kind of, if you have a bunch of guys that are all going up against cupcake matchups and you're sitting there like, okay, do I not start any of these guys? No, you can still kind of do what Justin did just now where you're like, hey, like Arkansas State, maybe you think they are good enough to kind of force Oklahoma to start their starting quarterback for at least three quarters. Three quarters, way better than just two in like one series in the second half. So if you think you can get three quarters out of a guy, I think it's still probably pretty safe for you to play them during that week. It's really the ones you got to worry about where they're done by halftime. Like you like ain't no way they're going to be risking putting a guy out there as well. So I think I honestly, again, I put Gabriel third in my ranking here, but honestly, I think you might've convinced me to maybe move him up there. Justin, well done, sir. All right, let's put our little icons back here. Move on to our first running back question. This one comes to us from A Wood Sports on Twitter. He has a three-way running back battle here. He actually listed this as a flex. This is one thing I'll also throw out there. For those of you who want to submit a flex question, I am only counting something as a flex question if it includes two or more positions. Because I think that's what makes the flex question super interesting is how do you how do you determine value between the two positions? If you list me three running backs, I'm just going to list it as a running back question here. So, Awood Sports deciding between Jace McClellan out of Alabama, Damian Martinez out of Oregon State, and Kavorian Barnes going or coming out of UTSA going up against Houston. I should probably mention that McClellan's going up against Middle Tennessee and Martinez is going up against San Jose State this week. So, Justin, I'm going to throw it over to you here first. Who are you starting and who are you sitting here? Yeah, for me, uh, who I'm sitting in particular is more obvious than who I wanted to start. Uh, I don't, I don't want to play Jace McClellan in this matchup. Uh, his name among the three mostly stands out as a player who you know, I would expect him to be gone uh, by halftime. Mm-hmm. This game is probably going to be ugly right from the beginning. Uh, and this definitely feels like a game where they try to see what they have with Jamorion Miller, Roy Dahl Williams, and especially the the, uh, the freshman Justice Haynes. Uh, this feels like a game where they're really going to be trying out some of the the backups and the other personnel and seeing what they have. Uh, so he's definitely uh, a sit for me. Between the other two, um, I think I'm going to roll with Barnes as far as who I want to start. Uh, I feel pretty good about like what his role in the offense is. Uh, in the second half of last year, he was kind of the guy who became the RB1 for that team and was getting pretty consistent volume. Uh, and I love this matchup. So unlike Smith, you know, Barnes isn't a total projection. I kind of know what what he is. We saw him there last year. And the matchup is fantastic. So he's definitely a player that I'd want to start. I mean, I, I like Martinez as well. Um, I just like him a little less than Barnes. So uh, that's why he's number two for me. Yeah, no, I have been going back and forth on this one. I'm fully with you with McClellan. I love McClellan, but 
again, we talked about this. Look at the history of the teams. Just last year, Jameer Gibbs was unstartable whenever Alabama went up against G5 or FCS opponents early on in the year, or even really just some of the SEC opponents they faced where they just completely skull-dragged them. They did not involve Jameer Gibbs at all, hardly, in those games. He really came out in games like Tennessee, LSU, those games. And same thing with McClellan. He just looked better in the games where it was much closer for Alabama. I think he I think this is 100% a scenario where he could probably, you know, rip off a long touchdown early on. You feel pretty good if you do start him, but there's also a possibility that, you know, he gets maybe 10 carries, 50 something yards, misses out on the touchdown and you're sitting there like, "Ugh, I don't know if I like this anymore." Martinez and Barnes was a much much harder call for me. I went back and forth. I'm literally still going back and forth between me and my head here because they're so close for me that I went and looked up our CFF projections on the campus of Canton. By the way, you should absolutely go and subscribe to make sure that you have access to those weekly projections. We're still kind of figuring out some of the kinks a little bit, making sure that we're taking into account everything that we can. But for as far as I can tell, they are very, very good excuse me, projections. You should absolutely check out. And they had Martinez edging Barnes by a point. And that was almost enough for me to almost enough to convince me to probably lean Martinez here. However, I can't get away from the fact that this is a 70 point over under game with a spread that is under a under two points. That's about as close as you get as about as ideal of a situation as you can get for CFF. So I am going to join you here, Justin, and start Barnes out of this bunch and quite frankly, it would if you can find a way to get Martinez into your starting lineup as, in some way. I think it's definitely taking it's worth taking a look because I think both of those guys will have a really really good weekend. So let's go ahead and bring our icons back. Unless you have anything to argue against me there, uh, you're not going to have anything to argue against me. You, we picked the same guy. What am I even talking about? Anyway. We're done with running backs. Let's move on over to our wide receiver questions here. Nope, I'm a liar. We only did one running back question. What am I even talking about? This one comes to us from Mr. Ty Myers on Twitter. This is kind of a this is really where I think this whole argument about like these cupcake matchups potentially sitting your stud really kind of comes into play here. He has Raheem Sanders running back over Arkansas going up against Western Carolina. Or he could go with Devin Maccabee running back out of Purdue going up against Fresno State. Or he can have Aiden Robbins running back out of BYU going up against Sam Houston. So I believe you went first last time, Justin, so I'm going to throw mine out here. This is going to go against pretty much everything I think I've talked about so far, where it's almost worth sitting your studs if the other matchups are good enough. And trust me, Fresno State, Sam Houston, not the toughest matchups for either BYU or Purdue there. I think I'm still going to go with Raheem Sanders in this situation. Arkansas, they're going to run the ball. Raheem Sanders is their stud. He will probably be out early in this game. But if he's out early in this game, it is most likely due to the fact that Arkansas ran the ball straight down Western Carolina's throat. They're shortening the game. They're going to get a couple touchdowns. Raheem Sanders is a guy that they're going to make sure they feed this year because he is expected to be a top three NFL running back in next year's draft. They're going to want to make sure the hype continues to build for him. I think it's still worth starting him out of these two. 
Mostly because, again, like as much as I like Robbins and I kind of like Maccabee, there's still so, kind of some questions there. We don't know what role Maccabee is going to have in a Graham Harrell offense. Graham Harrell supposedly is an air raid guy, which is usually death for the running backs in those situations. But also, again, Maccabee is also probably one of the better players on Purdue. So do they, do they trust the talent or do they force the system? I don't know. Ada Robbins at BYU. I like him a lot. But I have no clue how those carries are going to be split up over there with the Cougars. I'd rather go with a guy, <clears throat> rather go with a guy that I know historically has been a bell cow back for his program. Even if in a kind of weirder matchup here, I'm going to lean Sanders. Justin, which way are you leaning here? Yeah, well, I I actually fully agree with you. So it's sort of the first two, Mockaby and Robbins. We just don't really know anything about them as far as what their role is this year. There's just so many questions with them. And so almost by default, uh, I'm rolling with Sanders. And yeah, like you said, it is sort of in contrast to what we said earlier. Um, but I don't really think like of the three options, these are all great options. So we sort of, you know, the, the least of the bad options, I guess you could say. I mean, I, I think he's a decent play. Like, as you mentioned, Arkansas wants to run the ball. Uh, he is their best player on offense. So, yeah, he'll probably be gone, you know, by the second half or midway through the third quarter. But he's a player that you feel like Arkansas should be leaning on in the first half. He should get himself at least one score before that happens. Uh, I really can't say with confidence that I expect Robbins or Maccabee to find the end zone uh, in these games. I just don't really know, like, what the role is that they they, they have. Um, you know, I, I like Robbins more than Maccabee, but still, it's quite, quite a lot of... Um, uh questions with him still so uh by default uh, like you i'm I'm gonna roll sanders on this one all right sounds good love love when we agree but also love when we disagree uh we'll see if we disagree more on the second one because i think we're both exactly in line with each other on the last two running back questions so uh let's move on to the running backs or running backs oh my god see y'all this is what happens when i record shows at night this is this is what happens y'all know how loopy i get Let's talk about wide receivers here. This one comes to us from Austin. This is our first pick two of the season here. He is asking us to pick two wide receivers out of these three. He's got three pretty highly drafted wide receivers here. This is clearly probably the top three wide receivers he took in his draft, I would have to assume, unless he got another stud ahead. That's why he only can start two out of these guys. He's got Alex Adams, wide receiver to Akron, going up against Temple this week. Jamari Thrash, the wide receiver out of Louisville, going up against Georgia Tech. And then you got Sam Wiggles, the wide receiver out of Ohio, going up against Long Island University here. So, Justin, throwing this one over to you first, sir. Which two are you starting out of these three? Or which yeah, one are you benching? Yeah, this one's exciting because we have to choose two of the three. I, I like all three of the options here. Uh, I actually don't think you can go wrong with any of these. Um, but it, it kind of comes back to me in terms of who's an established player versus who, who we're projecting. Uh, I actually really like that Akron Temple game. I think there's a lot of players that are interesting there on both sides. Uh, as far as, you know, Alex Adams, you know, he's uh, he was actually highly productive last year. Uh, and he returns this year in the same team, same quarterback, same coaching staff, same system. So I feel pretty good about what his role is, what he can do. And this is actually a great matchup, right? Most MAC teams, they start the year off with like P5s and they're unstartable for the first couple of weeks. Uh, this one, you know, we're quite fortunate here where this, this first game is actually really good. 
for for in terms of the Akron offense's prospects. Uh, the other guy I would start, and again, this just comes down to who I think is more established versus projecting. Uh, I would start Wiggles. Uh, yeah, you're moving the icon already, so you, you knew where I was going with that. Yep. Uh, with uh, with the wig man, you know, he was productive last year, and he's returning again on the same team, just like Adams, the same quarterback, the same coaching staff. Uh, well, I, I say the same quarterback. I, I guess there is some some ambiguity there. Last I heard, work is playing. Uh, but let's say let's say he goes down with an injury early on again. Uh, speaking of work, uh, if we we can just look la- to last weekend, uh, and even when C.J. Harris, the backup, was playing, Wiggles was still getting peppered with targets. So he didn't find the end zone, but he had, I believe, 15 targets. He had like 10 catches for 100 yards. So he's pretty, you know, proof uh, against um, you know if a quarterback goes down. Uh, and I feel pretty good about his his role in that offense. And I, you know, the matchup is is decent. I think they're playing against Liberty, uh, so I think they're I think they'll they'll be able to move the ball and score as well. Uh, with Thrash, um, he was productive last year, but he was on a different team, right? So he, he transferred into a different team, new staff, new offense. That's more projection. Uh, all of the all of the like language at the camp has been pretty good on him. And he's going to play that role uh, in that. Um, Brahm offense where we've seen some really productive receivers in the past so you know he, he, it's looking up for him but it's more of a question about sort of you know what is his role going to be I haven't seen it yet so I'm going to play it safe and go with the other two I'm fully agree with you about Sam Wiggles. one of the most encouraging things I saw last week was the fact that even when Rourke went down that Wiggles was still getting peppered with targets that was a really big concern with that I had over for him during the offseason was that if Rourke wasn't back, we saw his role change when CJ Harris was the quarterback for Ohio last year. No longer was, you know, Wiggles getting peppered with targets like he was with Rourke, kind of spread around to different guys there with CJ Harrison. But last week, even when Rourke went down, Harris was still peppering Wiggles. So yeah, 100% a start here. Yeah, he didn't find the end zone last week. But if Ohio can't find the end zone against Long Island University, we got to completely shift what we think about the Bobcats this season. So should be plenty of scoring opportunities for Wiggles there. I am going to go slightly different than you here, uh, Justin. I am going to start Thrash. Like you mentioned, we got direct confirmation earlier this week from, um, um, which we call it? What's his name? Brom? Uh, Brian Brom, excuse me. I, I, I had Jeff Brom in my head, but Brian Brom, the offensive coordinator there, got directly from his mouth that Jamari Thrash is playing in the Z position, which is where David Bell and Charlie Jones were the last couple of years. Like you said, the word has been super positive about Thrash pretty much all of camp. He's been absolutely fantastic. I'm just playing the system here. He's got a really good matchup there against Georgia Tech. I expect some points in this matchup right here. Versus Alex Adams, the thing that's kind of pushing me away from Adams here, and I think all three of these guys are good options, don't get me wrong, there's a legit argument for all three of these guys. The thing that's pushing me away from Adams is I think he has the most competition for targets compared to the other two guys here. Daniel George, I think, will be a pain in the butt for Alex Adams' upside this year because I think they, you know, Akron does target two guys and they don't always go off the same week. So if Daniel George has a really good week this week, that could really inhibit what Alex Adams is able to do. Versus Jamari Thrash, system-wise, if he really is in that Z position and he is separating himself, he's in for a really, really good week and there's nobody that's going to be close for him. Sam Wiggles, Ohio, we've seen the same thing just last week. 
peppered and peppered with targets compared to the rest of the receiving options. I'd rather roll with those two guys who I think could separate from the rest of their room versus Alex Adams. But again, I don't think you can really go wrong here. All right, moving on to our next question here. This one comes to us. Let me move our icons real quick. There we go. All right, this one comes to us from Mr. Benjamin Jacob, longtime listener of the show here. He's in a little bit of a deeper league here. This is an SEC and Big Ten or excuse me, SEC and Big 12 only league here. So kind of a very limited player pool, kind of brings up some interesting conversations, some player debates that we wouldn't normally have here. I like it. And he has decided between three wide receivers here. He has decided between Jalen Noel, the wide receiver out of Iowa State, going up against Northern Iowa. You have Javon Baker, wide receiver out of UCF, going up against Kent State this week. And then you have Jaden Bray, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State, going up against Central Arkansas. I believe it is my turn to go first here. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out there that I'm going to start Javon Baker out of these three. I mentioned earlier, if you haven't already, by the way, go listen to the CFF List uh, new YouTube account. They have a wonderful uh, Monday morning show now where they will draft basically waiver options every single week. Great show. I was on this week. It was an absolute blast. On that show, I talked about, I did draft Javon Baker, and I really, really like the matchup this week for UCF. Kent State just absolutely obliterated by the transfer portal this past offseason. They could be one of the worst teams in the country and probably a decent bit worse than a lot of SCS teams this year. They're in for a very, very rough year. UCF is going to want to start fast here. They're really good about funneling. They're, they, they don't pass as much as a lot of other teams that we want to, but they are really good about making sure that their top two receivers, which this year Javon Baker absolutely will be one of the two, they get, plenty, they get peppered with plenty of targets on a week-in and week-out basis. With how bad Kent State is, I imagine there's plenty of scoring opportunities for UCF early on here. So that's what I'm going with. The reason why I'm sitting Jaden Bray, mostly to do with the fact that as much as I like him and we love that Oklahoma State wide receiver one, I just don't know that he's a wide receiver one at Oklahoma State. Dejon Stripling, the transfer from Washington State, I think is going to give him some run in this offense in terms of who's going to get that outside target share. So for now, until proven otherwise, I'm holding uh, Jaden Bray on the bench. And then Jalen Noel, I think he will be the number one wide receiver for Iowa State. That is a point in his favor. But go and look at the history that Iowa State has had against other in-state programs, especially early on in the season. They have struggled out of the gate a ton. So I think the scoring opportunities will be limited for Noel, even if, you know, or yeah even if he is the number one guy there. So I'm going to go ahead and sit him based on the history that Iowa State has early on in the season. So, Justin, where are you going with this one? Who are you starting and who are you sitting? Yeah, I'll, I'll cut right to the, to the point. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I would also start Baker. I, I love that matchup. Uh, and as you said, they that offense, they generally do funnel the targets, even though, yeah, they have sort of a, a dual-threat quarterback there who is going to run a lot. Uh, I like the chances of Baker scoring in this game. Uh, yeah, Noel, I, I thought you made a great point there about uh, Iowa State's struggles with the other in-state uh, schools. That's an interesting point. I hadn't really considered that, but they're also a program just in a lot of turmoil. Obviously, the quarterback is out. So they're going with, uh, I believe, Rocco Act, I think his name is. Uh, you know, running back one is out. So th- they're just kind of in, in a lot of flux. I don't mm-hmm. really know what to expect from 
them. I like Noel. I liked him a lot in the offseason, I should say. Uh, but now I'm sort of more in wait and see mode just to see what happens here. How do they look? And yeah, to your point about Gray, it's like, I, I don't know if he's wide receiver one, wide receiver two. I don't really know what his role is in that offense. Um, you know, if he if he happens to secure the wide receiver one at Oklahoma State, it can be incredibly lucrative, but we don't really know that going in. So uh, he wouldn't be a guy I'd start here. We also don't even know really how good that Oklahoma State offense is going to be. I mean, historically, they do really well in the Big 12. But again, they got Alan Bowman starting at quarterback this year. That does not inspire a ton of confidence for me, even if there is a clear number one wide receiver for the Cowboys. Again, I'm, I'm definitely sticking with my Javon, pa- uh, Javon Baker pick here. Let's move on over to the flex questions here. The first one here comes to us from Mr. Aaron Wilcox. This is definitely some deeper league options right here, but I love it. It's fun. Let me move our icons back here. He's got Tyrese Chambers, wide receiver out of Maryland, going up against Towson, or Nate Noel, the running back out of Appalachian State, going up against Gardner Webb. Justin, which way are you going on this one? I will also throw out here that he did add that this this is a PPR league. PPR? Uh, yeah, I'd probably roll with Tyrese Chambers in this one. Uh, I know this is a P5 versus an FCS school, uh, and he is kind of a projection given that he was productive at FIU the last couple seasons, but now he's at Maryland. Uh, but Maryland, you know, that system, that team, they've had some pretty productive wide receivers over the last couple of years also, and almost all of those guys are gone. So they have a lot of vacated targets, and they're returning their quarterback in Talia, Tagovailoa. So I, I think Chambers should be in pretty good shape. And I, I think he's going to have a pretty prominent role in this offense. Again, he might get taken out of the game after three quarters. Uh, that's just sort of the risk that we'll have to play with here. Um, but I like Chambers in this matchup more so than uh, Noel. I'm going to go the opposite here. I'm going to take Nate Noel over Tyrese Chambers, it is a PPR league, so that usually, in my book, usually favors the wide receivers compared to the running backs, if they're kind of a toss-up for me. But I just looked it up because I, I had this itching thought in the back of my head. I was just like, it was Noel like a, a, a pass catcher last year? And he was. 24 receptions last year. So he has that ability. I think that the Appalachian State running back situation is going to be by committee. Noel just doesn't really have the build to be that clear number one running back for App State. So I'm not picking him with that kind of upside. But if you're going to give me Nate Noel, an established guy on Appalachian State, going in on a G5 program versus an FCS school, so there's a little bit more parity there, probably he's going to be in the game a little bit longer than Tyrese Chambers. Versus Tyrese Chambers, you know, he has the higher upside in my opinion. If he's truly the number one wide receiver for Maryland, like we've seen in the past, like a Dante Demas early on in the 2021 season, he could be an absolute smash this weekend, and he'll say hello to the college football world with a big smile on his face, just like in that picture right there. But I'm still probably going to roll with Nate Noel here. Again, the PPR kind of gets a little leveled out with the fact that, again, Noel does have the pass-catching ability there. That's who I'm going to roll with out of these two as the safer option of the two. I will fully admit that Chambers, I think, has probably the higher upside. So if, that, if that's what you're looking for, Aaron, uh, go with Chambers. All right, there we go. Moving the icons back. Let's move on to our next flex question. This one comes to us from Mitch Hart. Good buddy Mitch there. 
again, kind of two deeper league options here. He is asking about Shadrick Bird, running back out of Charlotte, or Sam Brown, wide receiver out of Houston, going up against UTSA. Bird, by the way, is going up against South Carolina State this week. Although, again, it's an FCS opponent, but given how Charlotte's been the last couple of years, I don't think there's that much of a gap between Charlotte and some of the FCS schools out there. This one's a relatively easy call, in my opinion, especially with it being PPR. I'm going to go Sam Brown here. We've talked about this matchup a ton tonight already with the 70 point over under with the closeness of this. I don't think Brown's that far behind Matthew Golden uh, for that for the target share. Again, I don't know if Golden's going to get what Tank Adele has had has had the last couple of years. Brown's a pretty good receiver in his own right. I like the chance of him being able to pull in a touchdown or two in this game versus Cedric Bird. I do think running the running game for Charlotte is going to be better this year than I think a lot of people are kind of giving it credit for. And if Shadrick Bird can kind of hold off some of the guys behind him, I think he could be. There is a potential for him to be kind of a workhorse back in a on a pretty bad team. So again, there's there's kind of a balance you have to keep there. But I'm still going to roll with Sam Brown again. Just the the amount of pointage that are going to, that's going to come out of that game this weekend, I'm feeling pretty good about that. And again, PPR, give me Sam Brown. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I mean, uh, you make a compelling point, uh, and I agree that I don't think Sam Brown's going to be that far behind uh, Matthew Golden. I, I believe the coaches have even said they want to spread it around. Uh, however, I am going to go with Bird in this one. Okay. Uh, like Charlotte's uh, prospects for CFF this year, for those who don't know, their new head coach, Biff Pogge, uh, I fully expect him to try to implement uh, his Pogge ball system there. So Pogge came over from Michigan. He wasn't a play caller there, but he was like a – offensive analyst or like a right-hand man to uh, Harbaugh. Uh, and he was formerly a head coach at St. Francis Academy, which is a high school in Baltimore. That's where Blake Corum played. And they really leaned on the run game uh, when he was there. So he, he kind of knows run heavy football and Bird is sort of the returning, like their best returning player on offense. He just happens to play running back. They do have a pretty good freshman. His last name is Darrell. I can't remember what his first name is. So they, they have another player. First name there. Darrell, last name Robinson. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, it is getting late in the evening, so mixing things up. But uh, I I do like the prospects of Bird this year with Pogi Ball coming into effect. You did mention a good point, though. We don't know how good this team is going to be. Probably they're not going to be that good. And so it does kind of balance out. Like, he might get a lot of carries, Bird I'm talking about. Uh, but he might be running into a brick wall a lot. Well, we'll have to see, like, how effective that offensive line can be. But I feel like this would be probably the one of the few games this season where Charlotte is the, the better team in the sure. matchup. So if he is going to have two or three good games this year, this would be one of them. Uh, so this would be a game I would start for. And the other thing I'll point out here is uh, I'm sticking with Brown as my pick, but I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm getting a little bit more nervous and more and more. I'm kind of looking at this because kind of like with um, Nate Noel in the last one, Bird caught 21 balls last year for charlotte so again with the ppr not doesn't get completely nullified here but like he can catch enough balls to where he'll get that ppr upside as well there again i'm a, I'm a little bit worried i think i think you might actually have the better of me at least on this one here justin i would not be surprised if bird outproduces sam brown this week so mitch if you're listening that probably is a good sign for you to go ahead and start bird out of the two of them there last one here we got one tight end question again we're going to keep it to only one of these side-in questions per week here. 
But this one is a three-way one coming from John Ludovina here. And I'm interested to hear your take on this one, Justin, because I know for a fact you're actually kind of down on one of these guys for sure this week. But we got Mark Redman, tight end out of San Diego State University here. You got Jake Brinningstool, the tight end out of Clemson, going up against Duke. You got Thomas Yasmin, the quote-unquote backup tight end for Utah, going up against Florida this week. It is kind of interesting considering that we don't know the we don't know truly what the status of Brant Keithy is. If Keithy's out, it feels like Yasmin's the obvious play here. But how do you navigate that, Justin? I'm going to let you go first. How how do you see this breaking down? Yeah, no, this is an interesting question, and uh, it's interesting the names you're mentioning too. Who are asking these? I'm recognizing a lot of the the handles from Twitter. Uh, yeah, I like Yasmin in this uh, because. As you mentioned, Keithy is dealing with an injury, and we don't know if Keithy's going to play. But uh, as is typically the case, like if a player is a game time decision, probably even if they're playing, they're still dealing with some kind of injury. It's just that they've been deemed okay to go. So it sometimes means like, yeah, he, Keithy might play, but he might not really be used as much as he would under normal conditions. Uh, so Yasmin is the guy I'm going to go with to start of these three. Uh, but I will say I am intrigued by the other two options. Uh, Redman uh, kind of jumped onto the scene this past weekend, right? He had, he had a you know sort of a big game uh, in week zero. He, I think I believe he caught two touchdown passes. Uh, so, and he was at SDSU last year too. He had a couple of big games last year also, uh, where he had like six targets and seven targets. So he, he's been a guy that they've targeted quite a bit in a few games in the past. Uh, so I, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode about Mark Redman. Like, I, I'm not ready to declare that he's sort of this high-volume tight end and what we saw in Week 0 is going to be sort of the norm going forward. Uh, with Yasmin, you know, like I said, he might actually be the you know the starting tight end for Utah in this game, and this is going to be a competitive game. Mm-hmm. And we know the historical usage there with uh, Utah's tight ends. Uh, and then as far as Jake uh, Brinningstool, I mean, I, I like the matchup. Uh, I just I'm not really sure what to expect in terms of uh, how the tight end is going to be used this year uh, with Riley's offense there at Clemson. So. I again, I, I like you said, all three of these guys are intriguing in one way or another. This is going to kind of be a gut call here. I'm going to go Jake Brinningstool. I have again, this is a gut call, but I have a feeling he's going to be a pretty big part of this Clemson offense moving forward. It would not shock me if he's a top three receiving option for the Tigers this year. They seem very excited about him in the spring camp. He is in one of the matchups where, again, I I said earlier, there's a potential for Clemson and Duke to become a shootout if Clemson kind of gives up some early touchdowns early on and is kind of game on from there. I think that Brennan Sewell could absolutely become a pivotal part of that game pretty early on. But again, like you said, all three of these options are super interesting here. If there's going to be a game where, you know, San Diego State scores enough touchdowns to where Mark Redman can have another great weekend like he did last weekend, this is another one of those matchups against Townsend. But it's it's a tough call, but I think I'm going to stick with Burning Soul here. And again, Yasmin, I want to go the opposite here. Again, if Keithy does play, I think it'll be enough to kind of keep Yasmin down for the most part. And also, I expect that Utah-Florida game to be a really really low scoring game so i think the touchdown upside for really either of the tight ends for utah is going to be limited compared to a guy like Brittany stool against duke 
So that is our sit and starts. Again, thank you everybody who submitted questions for us this week. Again, be on the lookout for next Sunday after the games. Again, I know we'll have a couple games that are still going on like Sunday and Monday and everything, but I'm going to put the tweet out on Sunday. You guys can start listing your questions and everything like that. Again, sorry we can't get around to every single one of them, but like I said, this podcast is already an hour and 20 minutes long. It is going to be it's going to be 4 hours long if we try to get everybody's questions in here and also I just don't have time to bake all those graphics. But even still, we are at the end of our show here. Justin, it has been a pleasure having you back on, sir. It is incredible to have you here every Wednesday. I can tell already that this is going to be a ton of fun with us picking sits and starts every single week. Again, I'm going to do my best to keep track of who we pick each week and keep track of those points every single week so that, I don't know, we can have a competition for something. Actually, I'm going to put that out to you guys who are listening right now. DM me on Twitter or or at me or whatever you want to do. Let me know what do you think the prize or punishment should be for the winner or loser between the two of us during sit and starts the entire season. I think that could be a ton of fun. And I'll probably read out the best ones on next week's podcast. And then either Justin can decide or we might throw it back to you guys and you guys decide among the options. So, Justin, appreciate you having to answer. Let the people know, what are you going to be doing during the season besides this, you know, obviously fantastic show here and everything? You got tons of articles, I, I imagine, ready to go. But how are things shifting with the volume pigs in terms of what you'll be covering? Yeah, well, well first, man, I'll just say, yeah, this, this is great. I'm happy to be part of this. And uh, I love that we got a little competition going. I'm excited to see how that plays out and what sort of uh, the viewers come up with as a punishment and as a prize. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I'll be writing on volume pigs as always. I try to publish uh, an article every other day. Uh, so in-season content, we're going to be doing some other stuff uh, besides just player profiles. Uh, so this past weekend or this past week, I should say, I released something where it's kind of my key takeaways of the week zero games and sort of, you know, should we panic on different players, uh, names that are emerging? Uh, so you can kind of get my takeaways on the happenings of the weekend. I plan to do something like that every week. I won't cover every game, obviously. That, that's just too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will try to highlight the most notable takeaways sort of a, a written version of what Jared does here with his show, uh, just to give you a different angle. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. I will be still doing individual player profiles. I have an article. It's ready now, but I'll publish it probably in a few days on Hawaii's offense. Uh, those two wide receivers that emerged uh, and taking a deeper dive in what the run and shoot offense is and sort of the historical patterns there and some of the names that have been productive in that offense. Uh, so there'll be a lot of articles like that. There'll be some DFS stuff as well. So we're doing all kinds of different stuff. I am very much looking forward to that article as well. Cause I, again, I, I know a ton about the Hawaii run and shoot offense there and everything, but you know, I haven't really taken as deep of a dive as I probably should have sometimes. And so I think, you know, Justin does a fantastic job with all of his write-ups. So I'm ready to learn something new from every one of his write-ups so y'all should definitely go over there and subscribe to what he's doing over there and also he'll be you'll be sticking around for campus of canton writing some articles for us as well so you guys will be able to get him over here as well really appreciate all of you guys listening again i'm super excited about the college football season starting up this weekend we got a we got several fun games but you know kind of warming up for everybody and everything don't forget, if you don't win your first matchup this weekend, it's not the end of the world. There's plenty of time to make up for things. That's one of the things I love about college football fantasy. Or, oh my God, I just committed a cardinal sin. College fantasy football is that 
you know, there's a lot of time to turn things around. You got to turn that waiver wire. There's plenty of options to still pick up. Guys, we do a ton of research in the offseason, but there's going to be a ton of guys off the waiver wire that we never saw coming that are going to end up being top 20 options at their positions by the end of the year because that's just how much fun college football is. So be on the lookout for all of that. We'll provide you that information as best that we can. But until then, really appreciate you guys listening. Glad we could join you on this Wednesday, and I hope to see you guys next week after the week one games. Appreciate you guys, and hope you have a wonderful and blessed weekend. Thank you guys.